0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Life Point Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. How are you guys feeling? You feeling good? You feeling good? As we were talking, one of the things that stuck out to me—I love that we're praying right before we go into school—but um, one of the things I really stuck out was: Do you guys agree that school is a challenge? Would you guys agree with that? Maybe not. No, school is challenging. I saw some hands there. School is challenging, right? But what's crazy is we're praying to God. Do you guys not agree that we're praying to a God who's so much bigger than the challenges that are at our schools? Do you guys agree with that? Man, God, we're, we are praying to a God who is so much greater, so much bigger than the challenges that we will face. Um, so that really stuck out to me. And before we get into tonight's passage, I do want to take a poll from you guys, because I always feel like school is one of those weird times um, where are you, like, some people are excited for it because you're finally not bored, right? Are there any of you like that? You're like, I don't have to be bored anymore, right? Any of you out there? Yeah? So you actually don't like school, you just like the fact that it's bringing you out of boredom? I've been there. I've been there. Um, and then there's other of you are like, oh, I just, I was, summer was all year long. Any of those people? Yeah? All right, here's my poll. If you are excited to go back to school, I want to hear you say, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. If you are not excited to go back to school and you're like, oh, I don't want to go back to school. I want you to say, nay. Yeah. Okay, if you are excited... Man, if you're not excited. Who said yeah? Who said that over there? It's messed up, man. It's messed up. Man, so I guess that's mixed. I'm one of those guys where I just, I like went to school and I was excited and then a week into it, I'm like, I wish I was bored again. It's one of those things where I wish I was somewhere else and I don't know if you guys feel that, but um, so I want to tell you guys, I feel like it's appropriate since we're going to school to tell you guys a school story, something that happened to me while I was at school and I never just look up here when I talk to you guys because what I'm about to say, you're gonna look somewhere else, but just look at me, please, can you guys do that? You good? Okay, I've never, I've been married for like eight months now and since the eight months that I've been married, I've never told my wife this story. Look at me, don't look at her, don't make her feel awkward. I'm looking at her right now and she's like, oh my, don't look, stop, stop. I'm gonna tell you a story and you guys all looking at me? Stop, I see you in the front row, okay, listen. This story, Piper, I want you to say, wherever you are, I don't, I don't see you. Uh, I want you to understand, I don't want you to think any less of me after this story, okay? Please. So, when I was in middle school, just to give you guys um, some background on what I was like in high school, middle school, when I went into my freshman year in high school, I'm like 6'2 now, so I'm kinda tall, people say I'm tall, uh, but going into my freshman year in high school, I was five foot two, about a buck 30. So I was this yay little wee little boy Um, going into high school. And so middle school, you can imagine seventh grade, I was four foot none. Four foot, believe it or not, I was four foot none. I was probably 90 pounds soaking wet on a good day. Maybe. Why is that funny? You're lucky I'm confident now that my insecurities are coming out. But hey, I I was four foot none about a, a 90 pounds, and some of you know this if, if you were in tribes or six, seven, eight, as it was called, um, where in middle school, in sixth and seventh grade, I was bullied a lot. And it wasn't the type of bullying where people just left me alone and I felt lonely. Like I legitimately, people made fun of me. And um, I remember my eighth grade year, I went into my eighth grade year and I told my parents, I said, I just, I'm getting bullied too much. I can't do this. And so eighth grade year, I got homeschooled. And so that just gives you some context, okay? What I looked like, my situation. Um, and so I remember my seventh grade year, There was this kid, I don't remember his name, I think it was Derek or Darren or something with a D, so we're going to call him Derek, Um, and Derek comes up to me, okay? He comes up to me and he's like, I could beat you up, bro. I could beat you up. I'm four foot none, 90 pounds soaking wet, and I'm a little white guy, but... I have a really squeaky voice, like this, like it was really bad. I had a really squeaky voice until I was like 16 years old, which wasn't bad, like I just got my manly, deep, burly man voice until I was like 18. But I remember looking at this guy, and I'm like looking up at him, cause I'm four foot none, right? And he's looking back at me, and he's staring to the depths of my soul, and I look back at him, and I said, you little baby, you baby. I said, You're such a baby, I could beat you up. I told that to him. This guy, I was four foot none. I can't, I can't, I'm four foot none, okay? And this guy, and I tell him he's a little baby. And I say, You know what? You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna fight. Yeah, we're gonna fight. I said, on, This was the beginning of the week on a Monday. I said, On Friday, we were gonna go out. There was, a, there was a basketball court on the outside of the school. I said, We're gonna go to the basketball court and we're gonna fight. I'm gonna prove, I'm gonna beat you up, you little baby, okay? And so it got crazy, right? For some reason, and I, I was genuinely innocent. I didn't know what I was saying. Like, I look back and I, I remember being my seventh grade self. I, didn't, I really didn't know that I was actually going to start something this big. This was like McGregor Mayweather. This was serious Mayweather. stuff. I was Mayweather though, okay? I came out, no, I'm just kidding. We'll get there. But so here we are and people are coming up to me. And I'm this shy little, wee little boy who doesn't talk to anyone like at school Um, and people came up to me and were like, hey, we heard there's a fight coming up. Are you gonna fight the man, and blah, blah, is Derek gonna fight you? And I remember saying to those people, um, I was like, yeah, he's a little baby. And I kept saying that, and I kept saying that, and I was like, I'm gonna beat this guy up on Friday. I was so confident. It got to the principal, it got to the principal. And the principal, he called my parents in, and they sat us down, and they were like, we hear that your son is starting a fight, and he's calling this kid a baby. And my parents looked at me, and they were like, our little boy, Jordan, I was like, yeah, I'm innocent, right? And they looked at me like, he wouldn't do something like that. And I was like, no. And so nothing happened to me because I'm an innocent little four-foot nun boy, okay? So we get in the car and I start, we start driving home and my parents were like, Jordan, I can't believe they accused you of that. And I was like, I know. And I'm thinking in my head, oh my goodness, if they find out. So it comes Friday, right? All this week, all this preparation. And when you're in middle school, The situation you're in, that's like your life sometimes. You view it so close and you're like, this is it. And so I thought that was my life. And so here's kind of the scenario. There is like classrooms here. There's an actual gym here. And then there's the fight place here, okay? So I get out of class and this is, I played basketball in middle school. And I remember that day, that Friday, it was kind of the orientation to tryouts. In other words, we sat down for an hour and listened to the coach talk away. And he told us, this next week, this is what you're going to do. So I get out of class and my heart's racing. I'm just like, it is racing so fast because I know that I'm like walking to this place where I'm gonna fight this dude. And I can just imagine guys with like picket fences and torches and like this guy's name, beat Jordan up, Derek, something like that. And I remember walking over there and my heart is just racing. And then I like look over to the basketball court. I'm like, nope, going in the gym. So I go in the gym. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I sat down, the coach started talking, and I thought like 30 middle school boys were gonna come in with like picket fence and torches and carry me outside and throw me in the ring with Derek and we were just gonna go at it. And it did not happen. I was very grateful. We got done with uh, the orientation. I remember I got out of the gym. I ran straight to my parents' car. She had a green Jeep Liberty 2004. And I remember, I know, I'm like, I remember the year make and model. Um, and the VIN number, so this earpiece is giving me trouble. But yeah, I remember I walked into the car, we shut the door, and she started driving away, and I was like, safety at last. It was like my salvation had arrived in a car in the form of a 2004 Green Jeep Liberty. It was amazing. Man, I tell you that story, not because I'm like, I was tough back then, I really wasn't, and I genuinely thought I was innocent. I I really didn't mean to start all that ruckus. Um, But that was kind of just one instance in my middle school career that kind of defined it all in terms of how difficult it was. Like middle school for me and school in general, it was challenging, right? I think we all can acknowledge that school, when you go into it, it's challenging. And that was a challenge for me. Like that one instance, that was kind of like a highlight that kind of defined my whole middle school career and some of my high school where it's just difficult. And so there are challenges, right? There are some challenges. And today we are going to be challenge, okay? It may not be like the challenge I had in middle school, but we're going to be challenged. And the challenge that we're going to talk about, it's not, this isn't something I made up. Like, I didn't think of this challenge and say, what would be good for uh, young men and women on Citizens on Wednesday night? Let me think of a cool acronym and then uh, tell you guys. This is a challenge that Jesus is giving us, okay? So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we will get into it. And this is a challenge, this is a challenge, And what's cool? Before we get into it, what's cool about this challenge is we're gonna read it, and it's gonna like smack you. I hope it smacks you in the face like it did to me. Um, And you're not—you're gonna look at it and say it's impossible. Like on my own, I cannot do this challenge. I cannot accomplish this. And you're right. We're gonna read this challenge. Like if you think school is challenging, wait till you hear Jesus challenges to us. You're gonna be like, what? It's impossible. And you're right. It is. I hope as we read this, that you're like, "I, I can't do it. I I can't. Jesus, it's impossible, and yet what I hope that does is it moves us to say, God, this means I have to depend on you all the more, because it is impossible to to do this challenge on our own, but with this community, with his spirit, with his word, right, we can start to to overcome these things. We can get the challenge and accept that challenge. Are you guys ready for the challenge? Are you guys ready? Man, I'm ready. I've been ready all week for this. I'm so excited. Let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. I'll read the whole thing and then we'll go through it verse by verse. Here it is. Jesus is talking, Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, "'You have heard that it was said, "'an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, "'but I say to you, "'do not resist the one who is evil, "'but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek.'" Uh Uh-oh. "'But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, "'turn to him the other also, "'and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, "'let him have your cloak as well. "'And if anyone forces you to go one mile, "'go with him two miles.'" Give to the one who bakes from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is like the famous passage, turn the other cheek. And uh, I don't know if you guys know taking verses out of context 101, but this is like one of the most used out of context. Bro, I slapped you. Turn around, let me slap the other cheek. So like after this, if you've ever taken that out of context, I pray that you walk away and you don't take it out of context ever again. So here we go. Matthew chapter five. Let's look at the first verse says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Have you guys ever heard that phrase? You guys heard that? That's a pretty popular phrase. And in order to really understand this passage, right, we always have to understand the context in which this is written. One of my professors in college, Courtney, would appreciate this, he says, what's important, students? And we go, context, context, context. Am I right? Did you hear it? Yes. So it's all about context, right? So Jesus is saying, he's talking to this crowd, his disciples, and he's saying, you have heard that it was said. Well, the question is, where did they hear that it was said, In eye for an eye, two for a tooth? If you guys want, turn with me to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21. This is where Moses, right, he got the law and he's presenting it. He, he got the, the Ten Commandments. And God is establishing this law among the Israelites And we'll see why he does this, but this is one of the laws here. It says this, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe." You know what amazes me on a Wednesday night, some of the things that we read? I'm just like, this is crazy. So there's two guys here, and they're tussling, right? They're fighting. And there's a woman that gets involved, one of the men's wives. And if she gets hurt, this is the Israelite law, okay? If she gets hurt from their fighting, and the baby comes out prematurely, and there is no harm to either the woman or the baby, then what happens is there will be equal compensation for that, for their pain and suffering, for going through that, that comes in the form of money, okay? So if a woman gives birth prematurely, there's no harm, then a a certain amount of wages will be paid to compensate for that loss or for that difficult time. But what it says is, it says an eye for an eye, two for tooth, hand for hand, life for life, that if this woman gives birth prematurely and something happens to the baby that's serious or something happens to the mother that's serious, there will be a punishment that fits the crime, okay? that this crime done to the baby or the mother or both, there will be a punishment that's equal to that. So if the baby comes out prematurely and it's dead, okay, then the um, person who caused that harm, they are gonna die as well. If the mother, her eyeball just gets taken out or something, the person, why is that funny? You guys are sick. You guys are sick. You're laughing at that. Sick people, we'll pray for you. Um, and so this person, right, who causes who caused the mother to lose her eyeball, they will lose it as well. Okay, so Israelite law, this is the first point. Israelite law said, let the punishment fit the crime. Israelite law said, let the punishment fit the crime. This is huge. We've got to get this down because we're gonna get the rest of the passage. We've got to understand this next point, that the point of the Israelite law of let the punishment fit the crime was to limit vengeance, okay? It was to limit, put a limit on vengeance or revenge, what was the point of the Israelite law? To limit. What was the point of the Israelite law? That's beautiful, beautiful. Okay, so the point of the Israelite law was to limit vengeance. This means that if someone came and stole $5 from you, you can't go and steal their wife from them and be like, eh, equal compensation, I'll steal your wife, right? Or if someone comes and punches you, you like, uh, I was gonna go crazy there, but I was gonna say something really mean. But if someone like punches you, you don't, I don't know, stab them, right? You punch them back, right? It's the whole point of the Israelite law is to limit vengeance so that the people in Israel, when they wrong each other, you can't go above and beyond. That the punishment can't exceed the crime, it must fit the crime, it be equal to the crime. And so let the punishment fit the crime. That is what the Israelite is for, Israelite law, and uh, it is to limit vengeance. So, one thing I want us to take note here. In verse 38, it says, you have heard that it was said, okay? He's, Jesus is talking to this crowd and he's saying, you have heard that it was said. And this is one of those messages where we can kind of picture this group of people over in this area and like Jesus is talking to them and we can almost picture it where like we're looking at this and we're observing this scene that's 2,000 years ago and we can almost be like, Jesus, you teach them, Right? Because Jesus says, you have heard it was said. He's talking to a crowd, and we can picture that crowd and picture Jesus, and then we're almost on the outside of that, and we say, Jesus, this is a you teach them type of message. But the reality is, we're in that crowd with them because the condition of our hearts haven't changed since those people 2,000 years ago. And so this is a teach me Jesus, right? This is a teach me Jesus type message. And so as we say that, let's get into it. Here's the first challenge. There's three of them. It's pretty intense. Here we go. Jesus says, but I say to you, So he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. A few things. When Jesus says, but I say to you, the people who are in the crowd listening to them, if we're sleeping on him before, they better wake up. Because Jesus, he doesn't just speak the truth. Jesus is the truth okay? So Jesus is speaking, and that's John 14. Jesus is speaking with his utmost authority because he is the truth, right? And he's speaking to these people and says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And then he says, do not resist the one who is evil. The evil one here is not Satan. It's not, it's not Satan at all. It's someone who does evil. It's an evildoer. And then it says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, I think this is huge. In the next three things, we're going to see the phrase, but if anyone. And then in verse 40, it starts with, but if anyone, and then 41, but if anyone. And so what Jesus is saying here is if anyone does these things to you, your response should be the same, okay? He's going to give three different scenarios that come and circumstances that come after, or over different ways, but he's saying the challenge isn't dictating who does wrong. It's when people wrong you that your response to them should be the same, and we're going to see what that response is. And then the last thing, can we just get it out of the way? When it says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So I actually need someone to come up here to demonstrate this. Just kidding, all the middle school guys. Oh, you're in high school now. Congratulations, I'm excited for you guys. That's awesome. (laughs) So yeah, he's saying, but if anyone slaps you, turn to him the other also and let him slap the other cheek. Let's get it out of the way. He's not literally talking about this, how someone comes up and they take their actual right hand and they slap your actual right cheek that you should, someone say left cheek, left cheek, right cheek. So if if someone slaps you on that cheek, that you turn to them and let them slap the other cheek. Man, you better believe, you better believe if my brother just ran up here and smacked my cheek, I would not turn my other cheek and be like, Tyler, It's my brother's name, just slap the other one, right? (laughs) Slap the other cheek. Like, Jesus is not advocating for physical abuse here. He's not. So just get that out of the way. Although I have used that verse out of context many times, and it has not worked. So, what is he saying? If he says, turn the other cheek, okay, then what is he saying? Good question. This is what we call a hyperbole. A hyperbole is an exaggerated statement. It's an exaggeration to bring about a point. And so you exaggerate something, right? To make a point. So I'll give you a couple instances. I'm so hungry, Mom. If you don't cook me some hot pockets soon or bagel bites, I'm gonna die of starvation. Right? That's such a hyperbole, right there. You're just expressing your desire to eat. You're not actually gonna starve and die. Um, Here's another one. I'll try not to make fun of you guys. Um, But are fidget spinners are they still a thing? No. Okay, so I can, I can make fun of this now. If it was, you guys would be so sensitive about it. So this is good. This is good. When fidget spinners were a thing, you guys were probably like, Mom, I need to go to the Target and get the chrome fidget spinner that goes super fast. And it's like 50 bucks and it's chrome and it has little orange things on it. And if you get it for me, I'll be so happy. But if not, I won't have any friends. No one will like me, right? Is that a thing? No, with fidget spinners? You guys were all about that life, right? But the person's not gonna actually have no friends if they don't buy a fidget spinner that's 50 bucks at the 7-Eleven, which is unbelievably high and expensive. I should have sold those things, like bought them for cheap when they weren't a thing and then sold them. That would have been good. Um, but the whole point of that, right, is you're exaggerating a statement to bring about a point, okay? And so that's what's happening here. And so here's what he says, right? He says, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. okay. Let's do a little science here of what a slap is, okay? A slap, hmm, I was thinking about bringing up someone to show, but that would be bad, that'd be very bad. Um, I'm sure I could get some younger guys to do that for sure. But a slap, let's do the science of a slap. There would be many instances where I would rather be punched in the face than slapped in the face. Are any of you like that? No, one, two, three, four, thank you, thank you. How many of you, does anyone wanna prove that statement? Okay, so I would rather be punched in the face sometimes than slapped, and I'll tell you why. A punch is physically painful. Can we all agree on that? A punch is physically painful, but a slap, a slap takes pain and like, damage to a whole new level. Like It doesn't just physically sting, it emotionally stings, right? <laughs> like, you guys are like, yes, like, I, I hope you don't know about that. Um, okay, so... A slap takes it on a whole new level because a punch physically hurts, but a slap, it belittles you. Like you feel like you're someone's inferior, like they're your uh, superior above you. You're subordinate to them, you're below them. That's what it makes me feel like if, I, I, if I've ever been, I've been slapped before. Um, but it's like a slap is just on a whole new level, right? And it, it makes this impulse to anger just rise up in you. And if you're someone in here who's like, if I was slapped, I wouldn't really care. I would just walk away. If someone came and just slapped your face right now, you're telling me you wouldn't be mad? Can we be real, okay? A slap is frustrating, it hurts, it's painful. And what Jesus calls us to, students, Jesus calls us, he doesn't say, I want you to just stop and walk away, okay? Jesus could have said, if someone slaps you, I want you to just stop and walk away. He doesn't say, I want you to let the punishment fit the crime. If if we were listening to Israelite law, When this happened, when someone slaps you on the face, Israelite law would say, "Let the punishment fit the crime." So, if someone slapped me and I was under like the authority of the Israelite law, then I would slap them back. But Jesus, he says, "Turn the other cheek." Okay, can you guys remind me what was the point of the Israelite law of let the punishment fit the crime? What was it? To To limit vengeance, right? Jesus, he doesn't say, let the punishment fit the crime. He says, turn the other cheek. Israelite law said, let the punishment fit the crime. But Jesus says, don't limit vengeance, surrender it, okay? Jesus says, don't, I don't want you to limit your vengeance. I want you to surrender it. Jesus, he says, I don't want you to just surrender your like right to revenge and right to vengeance by walking away. That would be one form of surrender, by being passive and just walking away, he calls us to a whole new level of surrender. And he says, I don't want you to just be passive or return that evil with evil. I want you to walk away, not walk away, sorry. I want you to turn the other cheek. Okay? And so, again, if we're listening to Israelite law, then we would slap them back. But Jesus says, I don't want you to just limit your vengeance. I want you to surrender it altogether, even to the point of turning your other cheek. There are so many times right, where people wrong us and it may not be a physical slap, but it's something where they emotionally slap us and it's something in you where your desire to satisfy that hunger of, of just anger and bitterness and that need for retaliation, a lot of times that overcomes us and we want to follow that more than we want to help restore that person's soul or reconcile between the two. And so what Jesus says in those moments when people slap you, surrender your right to vengeance and turn the other cheek. All right, that's a challenge. That's a challenge. That's the first of three. Here's the second one. He says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So a slap, right? A slap is simple. You go up to someone one-on-one, you slap them in the cheek. They're done, right? They're angry. It's one-on-one. It doesn't say t- everyone's going, Now we can all do that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Jeez. So a slap is one-on-one. It doesn't take a lot of effort, but to sue someone, okay? This takes attacking someone to a whole new level. To slap someone can be done in private, but to sue someone, it has to be done in public. Like it has to be done with a plurality of people. You have lawyers, right? You have judges, you have juries, you have the person that you're opposed to and, and you're trying to get something out of them. And so when you sue someone, it takes attacking them to a whole new level from something that's between the two of you to something public. And it takes a lot more effort to sue than to slap. I have a quick story. Um, I called my mom last night to get an update because I actually never knew this story in full. But when she was younger, when my mom was 18 years old, and I tell this story um, so that you can understand the effort it takes to sue someone. Um, But my my mom's sister, so my aunt at the time, she, uh, she was 16 years old, my mom was 18. And my aunt, I think her name was Kim, she got cancer when she was 16 years old. And the doctors, when she initially got cancer, they um, treated her with stage four um, treatment, stage four. Things are getting pretty serious at that point, and she was probably at stage one or two. And so over two years, basically, and, and to summarize it, she passed away because the doctors over-treated her for her cancer. And so obviously, if that happens to your child, you're not gonna be like... Well, you made an honest mistake. Like, you're going to be angry. And so out of their anger, my grandparents, um, they decided to sue the doctors. No one would take the case. And this suing, they brought something that was more private but into the public limelight. It took eight years, okay? Eight years to sue these doctors, and they finally won. But the effort that it took drained their entire family. And my grandpa, a year after that they won the lawsuit, he passed away. And so he did all of that for eight years. His family got destroyed. He put all that effort in to sue someone, to take what he wanted from them. And he passed away a year after and his family was never the same. And so I say that story to show that when you sue someone, it's not like just a simple slap, like he could have gone to the doctors and slapped them and said, you idiots, right? But he didn't. He sued them and it took his whole livelihood to pour into that. And there are gonna be people that you encounter. They may not actually sue you, but you are gonna encounter people who go above and beyond the call of duty to wrong you. Like when you go into school, it's not just a simple slap, but maybe it's something that was private and put into a public limelight and they put all this effort. And here's what Jesus says, that when someone goes out of their way, when they go out of their way to attack you, he says this. He says, um, when someone comes to sue you and take your tunic, Let them have your cloak as well. And you're like, what is a tunic and what is a cloak? What? I don't wear that. It's actually at Ross. It's $5.99 now. But this is what it is, okay? When someone goes above and beyond to sue you, right? Like we saw with my grandpa, how much effort they put in. When someone does that, he says, don't just give them your tunic. You give them your cloak as well. A tunic in this day and age, right? Right? A tunic was more of an undergarment, like a sh- uh, more of like a shirt, like a tight uh, garment that you would wear. But then the cloak was more of like an outer coat that you would wear. And the cloak, between the, the tunic, right, the inner garment and the outer garment, the cloak, the cloak was the more expensive item. The tunic, it, it's kinda like if you guys just wore like a shirt, you go to the store and you buy a shirt, it's like cheap, maybe 9.99, but if you buy a denim jacket or you buy a coat, excuse me, it's gonna be a lot more expensive than a shirt, right? And so what he's saying is when this person goes above and beyond the call of duty to wrong you, he says, don't just give them what they're after. You outweigh the effort they put in to wrong you with good, right? You outweigh, let that, the good that you do to them outweigh the evil that is done to you. And so when they say, I want your tunic, you give them your cloak as well. Right? When someone does something wrong to you like that and they, they sin against you and they attack you, um, you say, I'm not just gonna give you what you want, I'm gonna outweigh that evil and I'll actually do good to you. And so this person who puts all this effort into attacking you, you don't just look at that and say, okay, but you one-up it by doing good to them and by blessing them. And so if anyone sues you, if anyone attacks you in that way with all that effort, you don't just give them your tunic, you give them your cloak as well. And then we see the last challenge, right? This is the third one, third and final one. He says, and if anyone, right, that phrase, if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go two. So we have this idea where someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek, right? You don't limit vengeance, you surrender that. You see when someone sues you, you don't just give them your tunic, you give them your cloak as well. You outweigh their evil with good. And then this last one, it says, when someone forces you to go to one mile, you go with them two miles, In that day and age, a Roman soldier, if he had gear that he needed carried, he could give it to a civilian, and they would have to carry it up to a mile. And so this person, Jesus is saying, if you're asked to carry this gear for an entire mile, you don't just carry it one mile, you carry it two miles, right? You double that what you were asked to do, what you were commanded to do by that soldier. And so when someone forces you to go a mile, you go two miles. But interesting enough, you notice it doesn't say, if you've had a great day, and someone asks you to carry something a mile, then you carry it two miles. But if you have a bad day, just do the minimum. right? If anyone asks you at the good time of day, right, or a bad time, and you're not doing well, just carry it a mile. Like He doesn't say that. He says, if anyone asks you, and it could be at any time of the day, you don't just carry it one mile, you carry it two miles. When I, uh, when I come home from work, and it's been a really long day, and it's frustrating, um, I absolutely hate the dishes. I hate them. Okay, hate, literal hate. I hate, I look at them with disdain. I say, I hate you, dishes. But if it's a good day at work, I come home like, I just like you, dishes. I just like you. But if it's a bad day, I'm like, I hate you. All right. And what Jesus says here is if anyone asks you to go one mile, you go two with him. And you guys are gonna go into days where school is just rough and you're gonna have a test that day. You didn't sleep because you're up till 4 a.m. playing Call of Duty or whatever it is you do. And you just had a rough day and you come home and something happens to you, and Jesus says, I want you to carry that one mile, and you say, nope, I've had a really long day, I'm not doing that. Or there's days where you're study hall, you just get to hang out with your friends all the time, and no tests, and you got to sleep in and get the extra nine hours, because you put the call of duty down, and then you slept, and you felt good, and you had a coffee in the morning, and then you come home, and it's like, I'll carry it two miles, it was an easy day. right?" But Jesus says, if you're asked to carry it one mile, you carry it two miles. And so he says, no matter how you feel at that moment, that is not supposed to, it's not going to, it shouldn't dictate your response to that command, right? Your response, how you respond to that should not be dictated or influenced by how you feel in that moment. And so we get three instances, right? We get the slap on the cheek, we get the suing, and then we get the go one mile. And so we get these three stories, right? We get these three um, different instances where their challenges. And some of you in here, you're probably listening and you're like, those are impossible. Like if someone slaps me, I'm not going to turn the other cheek. If someone sues me, I'm not giving them a more expensive item. If someone asks me to go a mile, there's no way I'm going two miles. And you say in here, you say, there is like, I get it, right? I get that Jesus, that he calls me to surrender my vengeance but you're, there's some of you in here who you hear that and you say, but I want to fight for my right to vengeance, right? There's some of you in here who hear that and you say, that sounds good to a crowd 2,000 years ago or to other people in this room, but to me, I couldn't surrender my vengeance, my right to revenge or to retaliate. I, want, I have to fight for that, right? There's some of you in here that are like that, okay? And that's not like, that's honest, right? We're honest where we're at. That's part of our, our values here. Um, but I have a question for you. Like, if that's you in this room and you say, I can't just like surrender my vengeance, so I'm gonna fight for that. My question is, what are you fighting for? Right? If that's you and you're fighting for vengeance, what are you actually fighting for? I want you to think about that. Like, what are you fighting for? When you say, I'm gonna pick up my right to vengeance, and I'm gonna fight for that. And you have that bitterness going way down in the roots of your heart and sprouting up as these bushes full of bitterness and, and anger and hatred toward this person, what in the world are you fighting for? When you say you fight for vengeance, why? Why are you fighting for that? And my question would be, why are you so why are you fighting so hard for revenge when you should be fighting for reconciliation? Right? Why are you fighting so much for revenge with this person that wronged you and attacked you when in reality you should be fighting for reconciliation between the two of you? Like imagine if you put all that effort and that bitterness that you had and you said, I'm gonna turn that into prayer that God would not just change their heart but mine as well. And you, instead of fighting for revenge, you fought for reconciliation for that, the relationship, for the redemption of their own soul, for the redemption of your own soul as well. What if... And some of you in here, you may say, yeah, I get that. I totally get it. You want to fight for reconciliation more than revenge. It sounds good. I I can roll with that. But Jordan, there's no way. The person that wronged me, they did a lot more than a slap. They did a lot more than just sue me. They did a lot more than make me carry some stuff a mile. They did some serious crap. They did some serious wrong to me. Right? They sinned against me pretty hard. And the sin that they did went so down deep into my heart that I don't know how to escape this unless I fight for that revenge. And there's some of you in there who you have that bitterness in your heart. Right? You have that bitterness and you say, I do not wanna surrender my vengeance. I'm gonna fight for that. And if that's you in here, right? if you've ever felt that way, i felt that way, I'll be honest. right? I want you to stop looking at the person who wronged you and just take a moment and look at yourself. Just for a second. And what's crazy, if we stop looking at other people and like that we don't have to keep fighting for revenge, we can take a second and look at ourselves and say that the crime that we've committed against God and his children, the punishment that would fit that crime that we have done would be God's wrath poured out on us for all of eternity, right? Death is the punishment that would fit our crime. Like God could be up there right now saying, you guys are a bunch of like, idiots. You just sin and you, you're wrong all the time and you just I'm gonna pour my wrath out on you. That's what we deserve, all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. I deserve that, right? The punishment that fits our crime is eternity, right? It, um, being in the direction, being targets of God's wrath. But guess what, students? If you're in here and you say, I can't, I can't surrender my right to vengeance, I gotta fight for it. Jesus... He doesn't make you, right? He doesn't make you take the punishment for your crime. He doesn't make the punishment fit the crime because he took that punishment for your crime. Do you guys get that, right? Jesus, he doesn't make like the punishment for you fit your crime because he took the punishment for your crime. And so when you say, man, I, I just have to fight for vengeance. I have to realize what Jesus did for you, right? Take a step back and say, there is nothing I could ever do to get to God. There is no thing that I could do to outweigh the crime that I've committed in my life, the sin, but God didn't make the punishment fit the crime in my life. He took that punishment for my crime. And when you realize that, right? When you realize that God took that upon himself, when Jesus in the form of man took the wrath of God upon himself on the cross, how can you look at that and not say, I have to extend that same sort of grace and love to other people, right? God is so much greater, students, than your desire and your need for revenge. He is so much greater than that, so much greater. And so God is calling you not to fight for vengeance, but he's calling you to surrender that. So we're going to read the last verse. The last verse, and I'll be honest, when I was reading this, I was like, how does this fit in at all? And so I read it like 30 million times and I still couldn't figure it out. So I read another 30 million. This is what I got for you, okay? Verse 42, I feel like there should be a fourth instance here, but there's not, like a fourth uh, hyperbole, like an exaggerated statement. But this is what Jesus says after those three instances. He says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So we have these three instances, and then Jesus throws that in there, like give to the one who begs and let those like, who need borrow, like borrow or lend those things to them, let them borrow. And so he's talking about giving to others and lending to others. And one, one thing that's cool about the Gospels um, is that whenever you read the Gospels, right, there's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a lot of times when you read a specific uh, passage, there's overlapping, there's parallel passages within the other gospels. And so when that happens is you get a clear picture of the situation. And so if you turn to uh, Luke chapter six, I'll read it for you guys. Um, Luke chapter six, it's gonna talk about the same situation about giving and lending to others. And we'll see a clear picture um, of what Jesus was getting at. It says this, and if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount, but love your enemies and do good and lend. Expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so we see here that in order to do this, like in order to, like when you give and you let people borrow, when I give at least and I let people borrow things, I'm always like, dude, if I give you a dollar, I'm never seeing that dollar again. Like you're never gonna pay me back. Or when I let someone borrow something like a book or a DVD or something, I'm like, when I give this to you, you're not just going to borrow it, you're going to take it for all of eternity, and I'm never going to see it back. Like, <laughs> It's so hard to let me like, just give things away for people to borrow, because I know I'm probably never going to see it. And so the focus in that sentence, though, is when I say I'm going to give and I know I'm never going to get it back, when I let people borrow things and I know I'm never going to get it back, the main person in that sentence is me, right? I wouldn't be able to give to people or to lend things to them if I was so focused on myself, if I was living for myself. And so what Jesus is saying is you have to be kingdom-focused, not self-focused, right? We have to be a church. We have to be a people that is kingdom-focused, not self-focused. If someone slaps you, like if you're to surrender your right to vengeance, the only way to do that is to be living for his kingdom and not your own. If someone sues you, the only way to give them your cloak and not just your tunic is to be living for God's kingdom and not your own. And we have the tale of two kingdoms, right? We have the the kingdom of God, the capital K kingdom. And then we have the little K over here, little K kingdom. And this is the kingdom of the world, but this is also our own kingdom over here. Like there's not a third kingdom. That's like the kingdom of the world. That's where other people live. Then there's my kingdom. And then there's the God kingdom. Like when you live for your own kingdom, you're living in the kingdom of the world. And when you're living for God's kingdom, you're living for the kingdom of God. And you guys are going to go into a school year where there are going to be plenty of people, probably more people than not, who are over here and they're living for their own kingdom. And you know what I call that? I call it a sandcastle kingdom because if you guys have ever been to the ocean and you've seen sandcastles, they're beautiful. Like I think sandcastles are majestic and beautiful and creative. I'll throw that in there. And very difficult to make Um, but what's crazy about a sandcastle is it could be big and beautiful, but if someone trips and falls, the sandcastle is going to crash. If the wind comes in way too hard, the sandcastle topples over. If the tide comes in too quick, the sandcastle falls over. If you don't put enough water in the sand or the, whatever the science is there, right? The sandcastle is not going to make it. And you have people at your school, and we do this at times as Christians too. We're not like, we're not inerrant from those things, but We look at that and we say, man, when someone slaps me, I got to slap them back. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're taking that bucket and we're trying to build our own kingdom. And for those of you in here, right, who say, I want to live for Jesus and I'm learning to live for Jesus. And I want to live for God's kingdom, not my own kingdom in the kingdom of this world. How you respond in these situations where people attack you and they wrong you is ultimately going to reflect which kingdom you belong to. Right? how you respond to situations where people attack you is ultimately a reflection of which kingdom you're living for. And the only way to live for God's kingdom is to be kingdom focused and not self-focused. And so I wanna encourage you guys, there is this challenge here that is massive. It's a mountain that you cannot climb on your own. To turn the other cheek, to give them your cloak, not just your tunic, to go not just one mile, but two miles with them. And you were going into a place where the majority of students that you're gonna interact with are not living for God's kingdom and don't want to live for God's kingdom. They may not even know about God's kingdom. And that challenge, it seems difficult and we pray the beginning for that. But we gotta understand this, that God doesn't just say, you're a good little Christian boy and girl. I'm gonna kick you out the house now and good luck doing that, right? Good luck practicing Matthew chapter five and those five verses. Good luck on that. I told you, I, I told you so, go do it. God gives us his spirit to equip us, right? As you guys go into the school year, God has given you his spirit to equip you to bring to completion the very work that he started in you, right? You're not on your own. He's given you his word to guide us, right? His word is living and active. It equips us for every good work. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, right? God's word directs us and is powerful and it will pierce the callousness and the coldness of our hearts, And then he gives us each other, right? He gives us the local church. This isn't just some man-made thing. God, throughout the New Testament, you see that God has planted churches, right? Paul, when he writes, he's writing to churches. He goes to equip the churches to be the church, all right? You guys have this community and we cannot neglect to meet one another, right? We cannot just say, it's not a priority in my life. If we are going to go to our schools and be a light there, we have to do it as a community, And we have to do it together. And it's sad when you see people leave this community, right? And they they start to go to isolation. It feels comfortable at times to like remove yourself, but it's not the best thing, right? It's not the best thing to isolate yourself. And so I wanna challenge you guys. I wanna ask you, which kingdom are you living for? Which kingdom are you going to school saying, I wanna live for this kingdom? And if you're living for God's kingdom, when people wrong you, you should let the, the good, right? Outweigh the evil that is done to you. You are to let the good outweigh the evil that is done to you. And this is something that's only done through the power of Christ, with his community, with his word, and through his spirit. So which kingdom are you living for, students? Let's pray. God, we we thank you so much for your word. Um, In Matthew, just the truth that you uh, share with us, um, that this isn't a message... uh, for people just 2,000 years ago, but it's a matches for us as well. God, I pray for all these students here who are going into school, um, that you will just captivate their hearts, that when they're tempted to go astray, when they're tempted um, to fall short, God, that they will rely on you and depend on you all the more, that this mountain, these challenges to turn the other cheek, um, to give them their cloak as well, and to go the extra mile, I pray that the, when they do that, Um, They don't rely on their own effort, uh, but they rely on you and they depend on one another in this church, even the people in this room. And so God, we thank you that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who's so much greater um, than any difficulty, any unknown, any uncertainty that is in our lives at this very moment that we're going into. And God, we know this is uh, gonna be a big challenge going to school and being a light there, uh, but God, we are praying, we are depending on a God um, who you are so much greater than us, right? We are so finite and you are so infinitely Greater and bigger, and you are eternal. So, God, I pray that we can live for your kingdom in a midst of a world um, that denies that, that doesn't want to acknowledge it. Um, and, God, help us do that, empower us to do that. Um, we love you and we thank you in your name.